Hello and welcome to the Uncoverables podcast, a podcast where we talk about music that nobody else can play by artists that nobody else can cover. Today we're going to be focusing for the most part on an artist by the name of Aaron Lumley. He's a Montreal-based bassist and um, he just released a great solo project on small-scale music, a local record label. And um, we're going to speak to him for about 40 minutes after a little bit of a playlist to get things started off, I'm going to be showcasing an album off of the Intact record label, which was released in May. A great album called Miller's Tale featuring the likes of Evan Parker, um, Aiku Mori, Mark Feldman, and Sylvie Corvisor. And um, Intact Records is a great label out of Zurich, Switzerland, that uh, I pay attention to quite a bit. Um, Last year, they released one of my favorite projects of the year, Roulette of the Cradle, which was by Ingrid Laubrock and her ensemble, the Anti-House Ensemble. And um, I think Miller's Tale might be the record of 2016 for them. Um, And we're also going to hear, yeah, we're going to hear one of the older songs by Aaron Lumley off of his first LP, um, Wilderness. Uh, we're going to hear Coyotes proclaim her her arrival. Um, and then during the interview, we're going to hear a song off of the new project. And um, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Um, we'll be, it, it'll take about an hour to get through everything. And um, we'll finish off with a brief outro track um, by Kamazi Washington. But uh, yeah, let's get into the music now. So we're first going to hear the tune Death of a Salesman, the first tune off of the album Miller's Tale. And then we're going to hear, as I just mentioned, Coyotes Proclaim Her Arrival, a solo bass track by Aaron Lumley. Um, Yeah, so that's it. Again, my name is Donovan. I'm your host here. Every week we uh, play something on iTunes for one hour. And um, I hope you all subscribe. So, yeah, that's it. Um, We're going to hear Death of a Salesman now, which actually is featured in my um, uh, intro music, which I hope you (laughs) enjoyed. (laughs) Yeah, so here we go.
have it folks that's the first song off of a new album by intact records uh which you can hear on intact records Bandcamp account it's um intact i-n-t-a-k-t-r-e-c dot bandcamp.com and uh that's one of their 
sort of featured albums at the top of the page. Um, it was released in May of 2016. Um, that was the tune Death of a Salesman, the first tune on the record. Um, and uh, that features the likes of Sylvier uh, Corvisier, uh, Mark Feldman, Evan Parker, and Aiku Mori, um, free jazz sort of group there. Um, Evan Parker bringing together a bunch of other musicians based in the New York scene. Um, next up, as you know, we're going to be hearing a tune from Aaron Lumley entitled Coyotes Proclaim Her Arrival. This is off of his album Wilderness, which was his first LP, and then we're going to hear tunes from his newest LP within the podcast, which is taken from a live CKUT show, um, Jazz Euphorium. And uh, yeah, so we're going to hear that tune. And uh, I'll drop you right into the interview that's going to be sort of copy-pasted from a Jazz Euphorium show. Um, again, my name is Donovan. I'm your host here on The Uncoverables. I hope you have enjoyed the beginning of the show, and um, I hope you stay tuned for a solid interview. Um, so check it out. This is Coyote's Proclaim, her arrival. You heard it here. Um, yeah, that's it.
getting things started. Um, Aaron's a bassist uh, based here in Montreal. He's played with a lot of uh, local cats as well as some more um, bigger names on the Canadian circuit. So um, how are you doing this evening, Aaron? Great. Thanks for having me. Um, So uh, we can just kick things right off with this album that you've just dropped. Um, You've done solo bass albums in the past. And um, do you want to just talk a bit about sort of your history as a soloist and how, um, I mean, you've sort of escaped the, um, the box that jazz bassists can sometimes be put in, um, in sort of classically rooted jazz, uh, basis serves such an important role to the foundation of the harmony that um it's sort of a specific sound but um you've branched out of that and become much more melodic do you want to talk about how that how you've been inspired as more of a you know independent voice as sure. opposed to just yeah okay um well it goes back actually i i really fell in love with the instrument as uh, a result of hearing it played solo in um certain contexts uh just I'll, i can kind of do synopsis of how I got to the bass was I, you know, I always loved it in like jazz context for me, jazz as a teenager, when I first heard it was like, uh, you know, John Coltrane and Miles Davis. And so the sound and Charles Mingus and and that Mm. kind of like stuff. And, uh, and then later I was, I lived in Guelph, Ontario, and there's an incredible jazz festival there. And I got to see, uh, William Parker when I was 18 play solo. Wow. And uh, just, I had no idea who he was, and I went to the concert just because I was interested and curious. And uh, I, you know, before that, previously, I sort of thought of the bass as the typical bass function instrument that we, kind of the walking bass line, um, that that sort of role. But uh, William did a few pieces that he's recorded, uh, the uh, Cathedral of Light being one, um, using harmonic, natural harmonics and the bow. And, uh, and so I heard this and I was, um, just completely elevated and it was like acoustic Hendrix to me, uh, which who was my, probably the musician who first really touched me. And so then it kind of flowed out of that. It took me a long time. I don't have a, don't, I don't come from a conservatory or normal, uh, like classical or jazz background. I, uh, when I was 20, I used to play guitar as a teenager. And then when I was uh, 25, um, I was actually, I, I was a big fan of music and really interested in a lot, but I wasn't playing anything deeply, deeply seriously. And then I had a, a few, this was 10 years ago, I had a few uh, concerts that I attended and it was really like a feeling of now or never. And then I um, attended a workshop by a Dutch bass player named Wilbert Diota. And uh, this is in Toronto. He was brought there by um, actually an organization that Nick Fraser was a part of. Uh, you're the guy who you interviewed, I guess, recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, called AIM Toronto. And they what they did was they sort of got some money and they brought in um, notable and really advanced uh, players from all over the world. And uh, Wilbert was one of them. And he didn't start playing till he was my age at the time, in his mid-20s. And he was totally self-taught. And I thought... If this guy can do that and sound as amazing as that, I have to give it a try. So I got aboard a bass from a good friend afterwards and uh, just have been sort of plugging away at it ever since. So for me, then, the bass as a solo thing was always there. Mm. Um, When I started playing, I decided immediately that I wanted to have... um, a solo practice partly because of i i was aware of the potential depths of the instrument you know in the time that i had seen since seeing william parker when i was 18 to starting to play bass when i was 25 i saw a lot of different concerts and i saw people like mark dresser play multiple times mm. um i saw oh man stefano scodinibio the um late great italian um like virtuoso i saw him twice um, so I saw Wilbert play many times before I actually met him and, um, you know, countless other players, uh, Nate McBride from Chicago, um, Kent Kessler. Anyway, I could go on. So I saw a lot of bass players playing, um, really the bass in a very free, um, forward thinking, like energetic way. And I really related to that. And so when I started playing for me, I always wanted to have that as part of my playing. And it's good to be self-reliant, too. Yeah, I mean, drawing inspiration can be a really important turning point in a lot of musicians' careers. I mean, sometimes there's just stuff out there that you would never think of on your own, and then you see someone do it, and 
you know, you kind of use that as a jumping point yeah, for light, your inspiration. Light goes off. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, although, although bass can be kind of put in a sort of typical context, um, there's a lot of versatility on the instrument. I mean, totally. it's, uh, you've got a huge body. I mean, even from like tapping on the, on the instrument itself and to all the harmonics you can explore with the strings. And I think you definitely emphasize that a bit on your newest project. Do you want to talk yeah. about how that has, um, sort of accelerated your playing beyond just what is traditionally done with the instrument? Okay. Well, um, I kind of, my study of the of the instrument has been sort of mostly self-guided, but I, I've been lucky enough to, at various specific uh, short periods, work with two bass players, Wilbert Diota and also this guy, John Eckerd, in Hamburg. And um, <clears throat> both of them are very well-versed in that specific side of the bass. The thing about a bass is it's a violin, but it's humongous. So the scale length of each string is really long. So there's harmonic um, nodes on every string where the... the you divide the string in specific ratios and you produce certain tones and overtones and uh, various effects. And um, there can be uh, more intuitive or more scientific studies of these. And many, it's actually, the research has been done. And it's, if you know where to look, like Mark Dresser released an incredible DVD and book series that basically maps the entire standard tuning, standard tuned neck out, EADG of the double bass and the thing about a bass and um i think it was somebody uh maybe stefanosco danibia that italian guy i mentioned earlier is I, maybe he might have said something this i think i read an interview once where it was like because of the the size of the bass the space between each node is so wide that you have even more nodes in there that maybe you might miss on a violin or a viola or something so for me it's it's a really kind of a a natural part of the sound of the instrument it, it was part of it from when I was first like William Parker, what he did was activating the bass through this, this mode. Um, in a way I would say what I do, I, I don't think I'm so original. I see it as more of a part of a, maybe a school of players who, who have been coming along with like bar Phillips who cut, I think the first solo free improvised music record as a double bass player. He's like 80 something now. It still sounds amazing and uh, still exploring. And it's, so I, I guess for me, like this, this sort of extending upon a language, it was weird because I didn't really like learn. I'm not really a jazz player and I'm not a classical player. I do this, what you hear. Mm. Um, and that's by choice because it's what I like. And, uh, and so I guess for me, it's like I'm inspired by the physical, scientific, like natural phenomena that, that comes out of the acoustic bass and i try to explore as much of it as i can so that's the like this album compared to the last i would say uh i don't want to jump around too much if you want to guide it but it, it i really was like interested in what happens if i stay with things for a long period of time with mm. that are just occurring on the instrument as, as i'm playing it yeah i mean um I, i'm not a bassist personally so um i guess i wouldn't you know have the first hand technical experience of um how the bass operates but um it, it it works a lot in the sort of improvised music idiom where there's a lot of players who are um not not just focusing on the part of their instrument that was designed to be played in a certain way mm -hmm. they're sort of exploring the different pockets of accidental sort of things yeah. that were that kind of just occurred with the design of the instrument. I mean, particularly someone like Nate Woolley, um, for sure. a trumpet yeah. player, he's totally just taken the instrument to a totally different place. And, um, yeah, Nate Woolley, uh, Peter Evans, all those guys. Yeah. They, I mean, no, totally. I mean, it's called extended technique, but yeah, there's yeah. a lot of debate about even that. Cause you can, it's like, you can hear the way Western people, you know, sing in Gregorian chant. And then you listen to Tibetan throat singers or, um, like, uh, I don't know. There's like incredible vocal traditions out of Africa and it's also different. It's like what's normal and what's extended. I don't know. But I think what all this kind of phenomena in players and improvisation that you're talking about is maybe, um, treatment of the instrument as, um, it's sound generating device. Hmm. So it's, it's kind of, it's not really, it's, it's like, um, maybe just a more expanded view of what it, what is p 
impossible with a specific instrument because I mean you know the people who say how to make them sound didn't invent the instruments that's something that's interesting to think about hmm. yeah I don't know if Adolf Sachs ever wrote any music for the saxophone <laughs> maybe he did um, so I guess uh, we could talk a bit more uh, specifically on the music I yeah. guess, suppose um, you, you just mentioned that um, sort of the what you were trying to do in terms of evolution on this project is focus more on these um, sort of extended techniques that we were just discussing and um, I, I definitely fi- I definitely hear that I mean um, wilderness your last uh, solo LP was um, I, I feel like it's a collection of sort of rigid melodies and um, sort of chordal structures but this one definitely um, there's more bowing and there's more I, I think you just explained it very well, more focus on different sounds. Do you want to talk about how, um, that evolution? You? Yeah. 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 Um, well, it's, I guess I recorded wilderness in 2011 in Tor- when I was living in Toronto, just before I moved to Montreal and it came out when I just moved here just shortly after. And so for me that, that was like, um, a big deal to record something because I hadn't been playing the bass for that long. I was so I, I wanted to make one really like listenable album that I liked. Hmm. Um, but I wanted my my approach is basically you know I I have no pre plan when I play when I start and I certainly have a like a, a palette of sound and tone and ideas and a, an aesthetic so that always influences everything. But it's it's really open and that's in, influenced really by Wilbert uh, Diota, my the guy in from Holland who who uh, inspired me to start playing the bass. Um, and I really like that for the fact that it, it kind of puts me on edge and it forces me to be really honest. And I can't fake very much when I don't know what the next step is. So I really have to um, work within the moment. And um, so the first album that I did was that over the course of a day, uh, doing a piece from scratch and then kind of taking a little bit of time listening to it and then thinking about the next piece as a response. So mm. I kind of worked through chronologically, and it's more or less what we did in a day. There were a few alternate takes, and we did it on tape, which meant we couldn't have a lot of material to choose from because tape is expensive. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, I did a lot of things that for that one that I changed. Um, so this this time, it's uh, I recorded this in er- started in late 2015 and finished it in early 2016 in February. The recording part of it. But it's really been in the works for a lot longer. And um, basically in between, I moved here and I started playing with a lot of players here. So that obviously, moving from Toronto to Montreal, I got exposed to um, a different uh, group of musicians. And so that heavily influenced me, I would say, just from getting out and playing. And you know, and you learn, and I'm learning all the time. So for me, it's, it's just been like more feedback and more input. And then um, I was very lucky, and I got a Canada Council grant in um, late 2014 to go to Europe to study with this uh, with Wilbert Diota again. And then the plan was to go to England uh, to study with John Edwards. That unfortunately didn't work out. Um, but I was also going to uh, Germany to study with this guy, John Eckerd. And John Eckerd is... Um, a classically trained uh, double bass player. He's a master. He released an incredible uh, bass quartet album where he overdubbed himself and kind of improvised and composed in a kind of fluid practice, these incredible pieces. It's called Forest. Anyway, he's he's been a, a big uh, friend and good a good friend, a big hero to me. And uh, so I got my ass kicked by him and by Wilbert Toyota and... Um, some really excellent players, uh, Jasper Stadhouders, John Dykman, Anno Hovert, uh, these guys from Amsterdam who I, uh, they're in a band called Cactus Truck. They all like really, I learned a lot from them and, and many other people. So I had this amazing trip and then I came back here and um, started, you know, and playing, playing with people back here and, uh, but trying to keep those connections alive. So I'm working on that, but that as a, as a, bass player completely uh forced me to like get get some things rolling and develop some things and make made me think about like outside influences beyond improvised music or beyond my instrument uh really what does that mean to me so i think this album um i let a lot more of that through i'm a lot more capable with the instrument and um 
still it's an evolving process and there's i think when i recorded it um too we uh we spent a lot more time getting a specific sound and i took myself and uh Raphael and especially Mathieu Belanger the the recordist this really um like probably five or six hours of mic placement just with a single stereo mic to find the right place where we thought it sounded like the enough air and color so you were getting um the all the sides of the instrument but trying to do it in a simple way so we had almost no mixing to do afterwards it was mastering only so then what I did was I I recorded a lot because I wasn't happy with most of it um there's like five hours plus a, a live show I think something like that and then whittled it down and then I sort of had initially the idea to do a long set because when I play live I do like a 45 minute straight or half an hour well anywhere from 20 to 45 depending on the requirements of the the night um but I like to do this sort of immersive thing and so I wanted to do a tape like that where it was two sides that were both really kind of intense and then maybe you don't listen you turn it off and you take some time and then you come back to it but um all the material kind of there there's overlap in relationships certain kinds of uh, techniques that I just felt like could use some more exploration or um I have to sort of force myself to be creative if I use the same thing twice hmm. so yeah I think I mean you've you kind of mentioned it um mentioned um length with um just the artistic limitation on wilderness of having to use expensive tape and vinyl too vinyl is only so good especially with bass frequencies up like i think i kept it it's 36 minutes or 35 minutes just Mm -hmm. to to preserve the quality of the recording yeah so i think i i mean you're you're pondering ideas more now and um or letting them breathe too yeah and mm -hmm. and, yeah and um i i mean it's I, i mean i guess it that sort of applies to your recording process, but it also apply. I, I think it's also influenced the music itself. I mean, I, I guess you're, you're I mean, you're, this, this is sort of what you're saying, but like you're, you're spending a lot of time thinking about technique and then thinking about how you can make that technique different. And then when it comes to recording a song where you spend a lot of time sort of on a certain technique, um, you're, figuring out how to extend those phrases and make four five minute songs rather than like three three or three three and a half minute songs and yeah it's i mean in a way i don't really think about the technique i the technique is kind of absorbed into the idea of a color and palette Mm -hmm. i i would say for myself like i've got all these you like i've sort of limited myself there are there's some incredible bass players like barry guy um or uh clayton thomas um, Australian bass player. They um, they do preparation. Uh, I'm, there's many others I'm, I'm not naming, and they they really focus on like different objects in the strings. And so you can the bass is kind of it's a percussion tool. It can be melodic. It can be a drone instrument. Uh, the wood itself has resonant properties. So there's there's a lot of things in there. And if you get into like miking and pickups, and it's something I'm just really starting to like get curious about too. I I mean there are other precedents with other instruments where you can actually like further extend the range through equalization and uh you know over amplification of certain things so um but for me that's all that's like the the nuts and bolts and not really i'm inter- i'm interested in like more of an emotional th- kind of music i guess um and for me there's there's just a, like a there's a physical energetic thing that happens when i'm playing and when i'm pushing myself to play so if i'm some this in a way means going longer on one thing to really um listen to it to hear what it's saying to me and to try to like sculpt it or and work with it or um or you know i try to i try to respect what the bass is doing and listen because there's there's so much that comes out of incidental um moments that that i think really like adds to to music Mm. yeah i mean I, I guess I, I think Charlie Parker said it best with uh, his uh, his famous quote on improvisation is where like it, you're you're building up this sort of field house, but then you know when you get on stage, it's kind of about forgetting about all that shit and just letting the music happen. So I I mean on this album, you've expanded the field house that you can pull from, 
as far as technique and and um yeah ideas yeah. and then your emotions drive how that sort of fits into the musicality of yeah it. yeah and my aesthetic and and like like i don't really you know where i come from as a as a musician like a lot of blues music and blues based music uh, i like a lot of hip-hop and different things and heavy metal like um lots of uh you know uh, nawa music from uh, from north africa i love it and uh, and then all this other stuff noise all the crazy musicians i've played with the amazing people so it's it's like really getting to for me playing solo it's just kind of a chance to get to reflect on everything mm. um that that hits me and and how it comes out and, and i try to really focus and listen and hear what's going on in the moment to then shape it as it's happening. It's kind of, it's a, I don't know. I hope that's clear. Mm, no, that definitely, definitely makes sense. Um, do you want to talk a bit about some of the musicians besides like, you know, bass teachers and stuff, some of the musicians, maybe Montrealers who, I, I mean, whoever you want to talk about, just people who have, you know, expanded what you do as a solo player by, you know, collaboration and stuff. Okay, like people I've played with or people who I've heard? Uh, people you've played with. I, people who I've played with. Um, I mean, I'm sure it, it, it's, it's really, well, it all well, contributes. Like, like I, you know, you mentioned, I think you mentioned either on air or off air, Josh Zubat. He's actually, um, he won't be a Montrealer for long, sadly, but uh, he, um, he's incredible to play with. I find his energy and his, he's so bent and can like turn around anything you throw at him and so playing with people like that is always really really inspiring um i've played with musicians who can kind of seemingly um like you know you you present a phrase or you play a phrase and it's like they almost seem to absorb the phrase and then play off of it in three directions at once and put something back to you as a almost a response and it happens in the blink of an eye and so josh is somebody who's like that um i really one of the people I moved here uh, to, who I was really excited about playing with, um, is Isaiah Ceccarelli, the percussionist. Mm. Um, there's actually a recording uh, with Josh, myself, and Isaiah that that is in the can, getting mixed right now. So I don't know where that'll see the light of day, but those are two people who I, I really, really uh, love working with here. Um, who else? Uh, what have I seen? Oh man, sorry. It's um, well, I can say like solo performances in general. Um, I I was really influenced by when I saw um, uh, Le Quanin, this French percussionist, uh, and he came out and he has a, like a bass drum turned on its side and um, pine cones and ball bearings and rosin on the on the skin and and symbols and and it's just it's just again it comes back to you lose track of what the instruments are and you get lost in the sound that he's making and it's just this colorful like tone world that's sound generated off like acoustically vibrating off of a skin and so that that for me was a big influence then to in just in my my interest in playing music i like this aspect of working with limitation um like i play with a a bow and that's pretty much the only kind of preparation that I have so I use hands and, and a bow and all the parts of the bow and all as much of my body as I need to and uh, so that like seeing him was a really good example of somebody who or, or some somebody who just took these these elements that I never would have expected and then pulled something completely new out mm. yeah um, yeah and um, playing with other people um, I think the emphasis you have on being an individual must sort of gather you some respect in the um, more creative music realm. I, I think um, with improvisers, it's 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 not so much about how you can play the shit out of the standard. It's a lot of um, a lot of individuality. So, do you find that all of the work you've done to make your bass? play in a in a very um specific way helps you when you're put in more of a collective improvised and improvising space i i mean 
<laughs> it's always a that's that's an interesting question, I guess. Uh, but I don't really think about the bass too much as a bass. Mm. I mean, I can do that, and I do do it in some groups, in some contexts when it arises. Like I'll lay it lay it down, and I I actually really like doing that, playing time and stuff. But, um, you know, that's always always a thing I'm I'm working on. But it's like as far as I don't know if I have an easier time or a harder time than anyone else improvising. I think it's really hard to sit down and play really good music with other people with, with just, you know, straight up, no pre-plan. Um, and uh, I mean, for me, that that's always uh, the thing that I'm working on, I would say, is just learning how to do that better and better. And mm. Part of that comes from learning to hear yourself and then understanding uh, that maybe this is something that I've been taught by some really what people I would consider really high level improvisers that like you don't necessarily put yourself over the group sound um, and that can mean many different things to many different people but it's as a concept I think to to hear the whole music before you're necessarily focusing on what you're doing you know to as a to either stand out as a soloist or just you know getting overly caught up in your own thing so there's and it's a mix of, of changing focus I think at all points there's mm -hmm. this um, great um choreographer and dancer and theater person um i don't even know what to call her she's she does too much and uh, her name's kitty duck uh she's based in amsterdam and, and she uh, i did a workshop with her when i was there that was really uh gave me a lot but she basically had the, uh, a whole improvisation uh technique or um technique building class where we just worked on um changing your point of focus and this kind of idea of if you're changing like from close to far all the instruments to yourself if you move through that fairly rapidly continuously you can't fall into that that point of where you're kind of focusing on yourself to the to the loss of the other instruments and so there's a that that was a big influence has been a big influence for me and i even try to do that when i play solo hmm. if that makes any sense maybe it doesn't but uh, no, I think, I think it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a lot of influences outside of music? Uh, whether it be people, I, I think there's an emphasis on, um, nature. I mean, yeah, yeah, you sure. have an album called wilderness, yeah. uh, but, yeah. uh, do well, you want to talk about other things that have uh, influenced or driven your playing? Yeah. Well, well, natural world. I, I'm really into, I like a lot of art that comes from kind of rough edges and, and I, I like, uh, I like things that have some grit to it. Um, I like, I think, asymmetricality, but like forms are really beautiful. Um, so you find that in a lot of places. Uh, what else? I'm a, I, I ride bicycles uh, like pretty avidly, and I work in that industry as a day job. And um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty into like riding a track bike without brakes down big hills. And I like going for like, I like going for a 300 kilometer bike ride from time to time. So kind of like that's an endurance sport that for me um, sort of speaks to some of the intention with like making a longer record or something where you're more immersed in it. And there's a sense of like uh, having to a process you go through. And it's not really for like maybe this generation where we're all everything gets like so f put to us so quickly. And but I, I really like, you know, being immersed in something for a while. Hmm. Yeah, I think um, sort of the, I, I mean, I, I sort of have this theory with music where like, um, you know, in, in melodic space is um, you leave space between ideas when you're improvising and sometimes just um, giving your body time to breathe outside of music with some sort of other focus. Oh, yeah. Definitely, um, you know, sometimes the space left in between practice sessions can be more important than the space in them. Uh, <laughs> or equally important yeah, it's kind yeah. of like does um some of those dutch players i mentioned i i have a special sensation with them those guys like they they like kind of live like their music a little bit and there's, <laughs> there's just this always turned on always into the what's going on the music and you know if you're not playing you're out dancing or this it's really good hmm. yeah i find that stuff inspiring um all right, so um, I think we can turn it. We should turn it over to uh, another song off the new record. Um, this one's called "Mountain Goats Dance." Uh, 
do you have any i, I mean you've uh you said that uh, your pieces are all improvised so mm -hmm. i don't know if you have anything specific to say about this piece oh, i can say well the titles are all kind of in jokes and tips of the hat to, to various friends uh, mostly <laughs> but uh, they also are just sort of supposed to be evocative and this is a a slapping piece um kind of i guess yeah it's like like slap in the bass like an old old technique um you hear on many 1920s and 30s jazz recordings um and uh, it's something that i i really love and so i was doing it in a really kind of i think it's like a sloppy time but it's kind of in and out of time so that's some, something that i really like and uh in a, a lot of music um this kind of not quantized time like really a little a little skewed so i was mm. playing around with that and using percussion we recorded at this place la Paz, uh that uh, the label head rafael foisy couture of small scale music uh he runs this venue it's actually like a museum uh for quebecois literature printing house and a number of other things and uh, it's they're, they're fantastic down there and um, anyway we we were able to record in their space and it's a really nice hall and it has this nice echo. So I was playing, like dealing with that element on my bass um, and it kind of just came out of a little, I was messing around a little bit and something didn't work. So I just turned around and started slapping and then I, I came up with this. The whole record was like recorded and then I reordered everything later to make kind of what I felt were like satisfying sides or like the best set I could possibly mm. play, but I probably can't play that well. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, so um, so mountain goats dance, and then is is basically I just it, it, I was thinking of like you know, well if you're the the title the cover of the album is me carrying my bass up Mount Royal, which is kind of a funny thing to do. <laughs> um, I was I was out there just trying to you know take a photo for the album. Couldn't think of what to do, and we had to get it done quickly. And I spent a lot of time up on the mountain uh, here in Montreal, so it's uh, it made sense to go up there and try something um so this is kind of yeah about hanging out on the mountain i guess all right so uh you heard here on ckut 90.3 fm that's ckut.ca on the internet we're in discussion right now with aaron lumley
cool bass work there from uh, Aaron Lumley, who I'm currently sitting in studio with. That was Mountain Goats Dance off of his new album, Catabasis Anabasis, which was released out of Montreal last month on small scale music. Um, so you introduced that one as sort of a slap tune. Um, and then you've got a lot of other techniques on the album, which I guess we've talked a lot about. Um, so do you want to talk a bit about some of your gigs coming up? Uh, I know you're playing Cafe Resonance next week. Yeah. Um, um, okay. So, well, I guess on this past Monday, uh, this band, uh, Pugs and Crows, um, came into town. They're from Vancouver and the drummer and I, uh, have played together for a bit. His name's Ben Brown. And, uh, so Ben has, uh, organized a bunch of shows, uh, with myself and himself and other people. So, uh, there's a few coming up that are sort of involved this uh, coterie of musicians um, tomorrow night at uh, La Passe, that place that I was talking about. It's one two one four de la Montagne uh, at 9 p.m. There's going to be sort of a mashup between um, some different improvisers from Montreal and Vancouver and Boston. Uh, Andrea Nicodemu is a vibes player, uh, really excellent musician who's up from Boston. Um, there is uh, Cole Schmidt, uh, Russell Schulberg, uh, Ben Brown, the, the percussionist I talked about, and um, uh, Meredith Bates from this band Pugs and Crows, who are going to be improvising with um, Andrea, and then I'll be playing uh, Nigel Taylor, the trumpet player, um, Marielle Groven, composer, piano player, um, Raphael Fozicouture, Vicky Mettler. Uh, all from Montreal. So it's the idea is to just kind of introduce some players and um, I've made some groups that I haven't announced that will play and it's hopefully mostly people who haven't played much together. Hmm. So just to try to like throw them into the mix and see what happens. Uh, and then the night after, um, again, similar organization, it's at a place in Oshlaga uh, called La Flèche Rouge at uh, 3235 on uh, Rue, Ontario. Est, and uh, it's... Um, going to be Raphael, who runs small-scale music, Raphael Foisy Couture, with uh, Andrea Nicodemu and Ben Brown in trio, and then I'm playing duo with uh, Marielle Groven, and uh, then there's somebody else, and that's a TBA, so I'm not sure about that yet. That's an earlier show, it's 6 to 9, early evening, uh, so you can get the rest of your Friday night on afterwards, go mm -hmm. to some clubs or something. Um, and then there's on Monday night at Resonance, uh, it, it's Ben and Andrea's last night, I think, in the city. And we're playing with uh, a great uh, sax player who was originally hails from Vancouver. He's named Ted Crosby. So that's, I, I'm really looking forward to all of those. So. Yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of great faces here in uh, Montreal with the uh, in improvised music scene. And I, li I like that aspect of it. Um, it's... Uh, it it's even more of a universal language than certain other types of music where uh, you can put yourself in a space with someone you've really never played with before and sort of just feel them out and see what, see where it goes. Yeah. Sometimes something really incredible happens and um, I've been lucky and I got to go to other parts of the world and do that. And it's like, I have friends, you know, in other parts of the world because I play this weird ass music where you can just get up and, <laughs> kind of we, we jokingly call it the 45 minute handshake you know you yeah. play a set with somebody for the first time and if it goes well it's then, well you're you're great friends for most of the time <laughs> so, yeah um yeah. yeah so um i mean a lot of the focus of my um interview series has been improvising musicians and uh it's a it's a great community and um yeah i we're excited to have a tape from you here at ckut um, we can sort of just wrap things up again. Um, your tape is on small scale music, yep. which is a great label that runs besides uh, a great venue, La Paz. And, um, yeah. Do you have any final words about, uh, the tape? About the tape? Well, there's a hundred of them and when they're gone, they're gone. <laughs> um, and uh, I'll be on to the next thing cause I've changed my tuning. So that's, that's sort of, uh, thrown everything up in the air in a really great way. So yeah, the next thing will be very different. Or maybe similar, but you know, uh, a, a new territory. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with the way these turned out, and and match you, and and really did an amazing job recording, and I'm I'm happy with it. So, it's mm. uh, although it, in a way I just put it out, and I didn't really take too much time to to reflect on it. So it's kind of it's just out there now, and I'm I'm glad uh, you enjoyed it enough to have me in. So thank you. 
Yeah, and uh, you also have something in the works, right? That uh, live recording. Oh yeah, well, there's a couple. I mean, there's there's a few things. Um, there's this duo with Jasper Stadhouders, this amazing guitar player from Amsterdam, who's really um, just a fearless, like funny, incredibly inventive, uh, brave, and, and incredibly skilled guitar player. Uh, I can't speak highly enough of the guy. Uh, he's a good friend, and he kicks my ass hard every time I play with him. And so we did a duo album on one of my last days when I was in Europe, and uh, so that's done i mixed it with howard billerman here in montreal and then harris newman mastered it so i'm gonna probably do a, a cassette run of that and um that should be out end of the summer um, so that's mm. and then there's the isaiah ceccarelli and josh zubat tape too that's also floating around so there's some stuff coming yeah cool yep. um i mean we're excited to hear it yeah thanks um, thanks for coming on again that's just about going to wrap things up for us here on the uncoverables um i'm being accompanied by the none other than kamazi washington who's going to finish us off with a couple minutes of his tune change of the guard the first song on his album the epic a three-hour epic album that came out in 2015 turning the heads of a lot of jazz fans and non-jazz fans so yeah we're gonna just kind of zone out on that um i've been your host donovan i hope you enjoyed the interview and i hope you are inspired to go out and check out aaron lumley if you live in montreal and if you don't i hope you check out his band camp you can find that small scale music bandcamp.com i believe so check it out uh that's me donovan bertan signing off have a good day